This is Get a Load of This Podcast, where we cover topics for truckers and entrepreneurs alike. Our guests are coming straight from the trucking industry and industries that directly influence and impact the truckers and trucking companies. We want to bring tremendous value to today's leaders and entrepreneurs and our future of the trucking industry. The common passion amongst our hosts and our guests is one thing. It's you. It's you, the people that make this country move, the trucking industry. Enough with the introductions. Let's get this load on the road. We are your hosts, Thomas, Cameron, and Ryan. Let's get rolling. Hey, what's happening, everyone? This is Cam. Welcome back to Get a Load of This Trucking Podcast. I'm excited to come in today. Ball is in the air. We're coming into the final quarter. And I know for most of you guys, that means busy season, um, which is going to be a welcomed reprieve from, I feel like, the first two quarters of the year as uh, (laughs) it was a little rough coming out of that. And rates were down. Fuel was up. Parking's always an issue, um, but I am seeing some good stuff. I mean, the fuel is coming down. The rates, uh, the rate trend was coming up for September, so I'm optimistic coming into the final quarter. Plus, obviously, everyone knows for the consumer spending, it's going to bump some of those dry freight loads coming in and out of places. Harvest season is upon us, so I know that's a busy time for a lot of you guys. So uh, hang in there, and the guys that did hang in there, you're going to reap the rewards and benefits. So keep keep sticking at it, but. I'm pumped today. So we've got a guest who has an extensive background in transportation. Um, I'm going to introduce him here in a sec. And before I do, I know that we don't typically talk a lot of insurance. And don't worry, we're still not going to talk a lot of insurance. But this gentleman's coming from um, Travelers or Northland is is probably what you guys know that company as. Um, but I think he's a huge asset and he's instrumental in a lot of the success that he provides with fleets and um, his background and stuff. So I want to welcome special guest Roger J. Whitworth. Roger, how you doing? Good morning, Cam. How are you? Thank you for having me. Oh, man, I'm good. Yeah, it is uh, morning for me, but you're coming out of a different time zone. So I think it's probably closer to your afternoon lunch. Yeah, time no, it's, it's, it's lunch. I'm missing lunch for you, brother. <laughs> Oh, I feel blessed. <laughs> Just that extra fast. Yeah, yeah. It'll, help you. It'll help your body. It'll be we'll good. Be okay. Yeah. So you're coming out of uh, the Northeast. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, my, my home is just a little bit east of Springfield, Mass., but my whole life has been spent in, in the Northeast, uh, Massachusetts in particular. Absolutely. All right. How's the weather holding? We still had a 70 degree day here in Spokane, Washington. What do you yeah, guys think? No, at? it was rainy all weekend. It started out foggy. Now the sun is up and dude, it's going to be 80 tomorrow. And I've already Hey. <laughs> Hey, <laughs> welcome to fall, right? Yeah. In the Northern Hemisphere, you just never know what you're going to get. Rain, sleet, snow, hail, summer, back to winter. At least that's how our weather operates. So, and I know a lot of the truckers running on those Northern lines, you know, they'll start to get snow delays and that kind of stuff coming. Winter advisory warnings, chain up things. It's coming into that season now. We're coming upon it. Yep. And then there's that super El Nino. I don't know what's super about it, but... <laughs> we got to be ready oh, for it. Yeah, I guess. I think a good job would be a weather forecaster. What do you think? Yeah, you can be wrong and still keep a job. Come on. Man. I think like be wrong 98 times, you get it right twice, and it's like, oh, you're good. <laughs> yeah. We'll just keep it, keep it going. Roger, I'd love the folks. So 
you're a senior transportation specialist in risk control. So, you know, from a high level view or maybe layman's terms for folks that probably don't understand what that is, chat about what it is you do and then um, about Northland a little bit. So I I love Northland and Travelers Insurance. They're great. They're one of the premier um, transportation and trucking insurance products, Um, not only in that space, but obviously they have a wide array of folks that they can help. But since we're talking to truckers and transportation, let's focus on that. Sure, sure. Absolutely. So uh, I spent about 30 years in trucking before I came over to insurance. And I thought I was going to coast up until I retired. And and the long and short of it is that the insurance industry is ever changing, ever morphing. And I am, as you said, in risk control. And basically what I do is I go out to the customers and I, I look to see where they may have some vulnerabilities, whether it be in compliance or litigation mitigation. And I help them cover those gaps, you know, seal over those gaps. And it, it, it's been quite the learning curve and quite the challenge. And I've gotten to meet so many wonderful people. But basically, that's what risk control does. After the underwriter writes the policy, binds the policy, we go out and we talk to that customer. We're the face of the company. And when they have challenges, they often reach out to us. And then we provide that liaison, that go-between, between underwriting claims and risk control. Uh, and, it, and it's been a wonderful ride, a wonderful ride. It's been, it's been so amazing. And, and there's so many people out there. And, and I got to tell you, Cam, I've never been prouder of people in our industry. Most of them are solid, good people just struggling to make ends meet and looking for any way they can to, to just help their people out, help their customers out. What a wonderful group of people in the transportation industry here in the great old U.S. Oh, it is. And I've used the word resilient numerous times on past episodes because that, that's truly what it is, too, man. And, um, you know, cyclical is definitely hand in hand with trucking. And if you were in for 30 years, you know, <laughs> the ups, the downs, you know, the seasons that these folks face and that kind of stuff. I find it fascinating. So you have 30 years in trucking. We'll get to that. Well, actually, no, let's go all the way back. Let's go to kind of your roots. What what did you do in trucking? Why did you get in trucking? I always find that very fascinating. Usually it's some sort of family connection or what, what have you. Um, but then What's even more fascinating to me is you went from trucking to insurance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, you know, let, let's, uh, we'll, we'll get up to that. So start at the beginning, I mean, Roger, tell us uh, about path. your background, bud. Yeah, it's kind of a different path. Well, my grandfather drove for roadway for 35 years before he became a, a local Teamster president here in Springfield. And, and he used to tell the stories. And of course, it was a different time back then. And uh, my, my family wasn't well off, so I, I never went to college, and I started having kids. And uh, lo and behold, a position opened up at Consolidated Freightways on the dock. Now, I don't know if any of your listeners remember Consolidated Freightways back in the day, Cornflake, CF, uh, long, long time ago, a union company. And we used to haul pups and, and then tandem 45s. And I worked on the dock for a couple of years, and, you know, Tough gig on the overnights and the bitter cold and, and the high heat humidity. So I thought about driving truck. Long story short, I went, got my license, worked in the yard for a couple of years, then started driving for the company. 
and I was with Consolidator for it was almost 20 years till they went bankrupt. And then I decided to pivot a little bit because my kids were getting older and I needed to be home more. So I went into the safety and management side of this uh, just so I could be home more with the kids. Because when you're gone five, six nights a week and, and the guys out there that do this know how difficult it is on the family. It's a lifestyle when you're gone all week long or even weeks at a time. And it's very tough on the spouse as well, the family as a whole. So uh, I pivoted into safety and uh, management so that I could be home nights and weekends. And, and that turned out to be, to be uh, a wise move. It just took a while. But for somebody who never went to college, I learned that um, the trucking industry is a, is a very uh, viable profession. And it's an honorable one. And, and you, you, can, uh, you can do well by your family if you're, if you're diligent and, and well-intentioned and passionate. And, and that's what I did. So I've managed, I've taught, uh, I've, I've been a uh, lead instructor for a national company, uh, been involved in a couple of DOT audits, numerous litigations, four fatality investigations. Uh, it's, it's been, again, like I said, a wild ride, but, but a very satisfying one. Yeah, that's a, man, what a background there. I think too, and I love that you meant, well, two things there that you mentioned is the strain that it puts on the family or can put on the family. It's providing at the same time, but from a relationship standpoint, it's a, it's an all in deal. It's a whole family buy-in. The spouse supports the kid understands or the kids understand. They understand what mom or dad is doing, you know, on a day-to-day basis and the sacrifice that they're doing to make sure that the rest of America keeps moving and we are able to eat and get medicine and be able to, you know, we have our desk and all the stuff that came off the back of a truck here, um, which is very noble. So I love that you highlight that. What's really cool. And you highlighted this, which we didn't really intend or plan on going here is you don't need a college degree or education to get into trucking or the transportation industry uh, as far as the trade goes you, you need to get a cdl if that's the route you're going to go and yes there is some some stuff there but um i love that you came off that my background similar you know not a lot of money growing up in fact single mom and really didn't have any money oh, <laughs> and not great examples other than family members that were trucking and transportation and, and um, grew up around a truck and construction trade. I did construction and stuff early on. I obviously pivoted and went a different route. I went insurance, but yeah, what a cool thing. And I think the more exposure, the younger generation gets to that with, I, I know there's some organizations like next generation and trucking, you know, Dave Dine and those guys are doing some really neat things to introduce it into the high school level to raise awareness around the trucking and transportation industry and that kind of stuff. Um, but gosh, what a great way for folks to make a living and provide for their family. And, and uh, you know, maybe they don't know what they want to do because who does at 18, 19 and 20 years old. Um, but you can go into a trade and have so much room for growth. You started on a dock yeah. as a labor hand, right? And then decided I'm going to drive. Then you went into you know, safety and risk control, which then opened your eyes to obviously evacuate things, which I'm guessing that's what led you to travelers. Yeah, yeah. The background helps. Uh, a lot of my peers are uh, more from the law enforcement side. Fewer of them are from the managerial and actually driving truck side. Uh, so I, I have a unique perspective. Uh, I 
I'm married to a litigator. I, like I told you before, I've dealt with numerous litigations and uh, fatality investigations. So my perspective comes from how best to protect my insureds rather than do you have this in the file? Do you have this, you know, the compliance side? Yeah, I, the checklist. Yeah, stuff. I'm not yeah. so worried about the compliance side so much as the documentation side, the expected best practices. But if, if you don't mind, I would love to circle back just for a moment with family because there's a little little story behind that. Uh, the homestead, the old homestead was right along the Mass Pike. So my kids would have a Christmas candle with a red light in the window. And when I was going back and forth along the Mass Pike, I would look for the house and see the red candle. So I would know that my kids were thinking of me. And then beepers and pagers came along. And at night, they would send me a page. And, you know, the wife was 11111. The oldest was 22222. So they would say goodnight to me. And then we morphed into the uh, the cell phones that were the briefcase cell phones. I don't know if you recall those, Cam. Uh, and it was a dollar a minute. So I could actually call the kids at night and, sit and say goodnight to them. So uh, we did everything we could to make sure that the, the kids were involved in what daddy did. But when, when you mentioned the family and how difficult it is, uh, that was uh, that was our way of, of staying connected with the family while I was out of, you know, out of sight, so to speak. But, um, yeah, the, the ride I was on is, was very unique because it came at it from a different angle. I, I have a very unique perspective in what I do. And for the most part, I get a lot of positive feedback from that because when I go in to talk to my insureds, my customers, um, and we start talking safety, especially if you're talking to a CFO, a CEO of some of the bigger companies on the traveler side, as opposed to the Northland side being straight trucking, their eyes glaze over and, oh, safety, here we go. How much is this going to cost me? And that's typically the response I get. But when we talk about setting it up so that they can help the defense team defend either themselves or their drivers should there be any litigation or criminal charges, I definitely get their attention from my perspective. And then if I do driver safety training, because I still hold a CDL with my hazmat endorsement, uh, I still get that street cred with the drivers as well. So it is a unique perspective that served me well. Sometimes I'm a little bit too much of a truck driver, Cam. Uh, I, I tend to call BS as I see it, and and I'm I'm, I'm not very um, ambassadorial. I, I can be a little blunt, uh, but for the most part, especially on the Northland side, trucking you know trucking companies, guys that have 10, 12, 15, 20 trucks, they appreciate that because that's what they're dealing with every single day. Shippers, receivers, truck drivers, law enforcement, attorneys, uh, whatever they're dealing with, straight shooters, that goes that goes a long way with what we do, you know? Oh, I think uh, I think it's welcomed, to be honest with you. And I've and I've uh, found that through the years as well. I'm not you know, I don't sugarcoat it. Um, There's obviously in, in our profession, you're dealing with good and bad news. And there's no way to sugarcoat it. You know, you got to you got to give them or break the bad news to them or you got to give them the hard news of, hey, you know, it's your company run how you will. But 
here's what I see and here's what you're doing and trending towards. And here's the potential maybe pitfalls and issues that you're going to face. And you're telling me this is what you want to do, but you're showing me this is what you're doing. And, you know, I'm going to call them out. I'm obviously a problem solver and try to help folks as as best I can. But sometimes you got to kind of shut them down to help them too, right? Like on certain risky behaviors or, or things. That, but it, well, sometimes what they uh, tell you doesn't match the data you're seeing, either the, oh, yeah. or the CSA DOT website score. Oh yeah, uh, and, you, and you sit there and go, okay, that that sounds great, but you know, this yeah. is what we're seeing, and these are you know access public access documents, and opposing counsel is going to see this as well. Yeah. And I think from the stance of you and and for the listeners, too, you guys have to understand, I know folks get nervous when and and they equate it to an audit. Oh, shoot. Someone's coming out to audit me. (laughs) They get nervous. Everyone gets nervous when you look under the hood, as you should. Right. Your engine's dirty. Like who cleans their engine regular? I mean, so so rightfully so. But what you have to understand is, is the folks that you align with and partner with and choose to hire are there to help you and be an asset. Hopefully they should be if they're not, but hopefully they're an asset and a resource for you to become better, um, to be part of your team, to be invested in the livelihood of your company and the folks that you represent and the drivers and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, I know when I take that stance and, and I love that you said that, Hey, I call them out on their bullshit. <laughs> it's I like, don't think it's I like, that yeah, word exactly, but <laughs> yeah, yeah well, for me, I do, or I would, but anyways, BS. And it, and, and it's like, you're right. They do need that because they're also used to talking and know what people want to hear in certain circumstances. Oh, yeah. And it's like, Hey, let's like, let's be real. Like, I hear what you're saying. And you know what? You probably have all the best intentions of getting whatever done, done or accomplished. It's not happening though. Why? Like, let us help you fix this. Add a couple of tweaks or you need to hold some people accountable in whatever department or area you need to. A lot of times too, you know, especially um, if you're working in that range of the maybe the 10 to 15 to 20 units, the owner still does a lot. <laughs> They're still wearing a lot of hats, unfortunately, yeah, right? Because of resources yeah. time and, and that kind of stuff. So sometimes it's opening their eyes to maybe resources, tools, efficiency flow, or like, just like, hey, you need to get out of this position, hire somebody, get help and allow you to focus over here, right? Yeah. So walk us through, Roger, you know, maybe a little bit about what you're, on-site would entail. So when you're going into these companies, and I love that you have a background in litigate, not being the litigator, but just in litigation, defense attorney type things. Obviously, you've had some fatalities you mentioned, which is um, horrible, but that's the reality that we can face when driving a semi-truck and dealing with the public that that happens. You know, just share kind of where you start what does that process look like? Where do you go with sure. it? And maybe even like if if you have a story that stands out about a company that, um, you know, that stands out in your mind, you don't have to obviously mention the company, but maybe just a story that stands out from this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Cam, it, it's quite the wake up call when there's a catastrophic crash, your driver's involved in a catastrophic crash and the state troopers come in the next day with a subpoena. <laughs> And they want all the documents for the truck and all the documents for the driver, correspondence with your insurance companies, yada, yada. You know, and then you're deposed or, or even, heaven forbid, you're on the witness stand and you're under oath. And everything you've done, every decision you've made to that point is 
is now being questioned. Can you defend that decision? And and this is this is how I approach these subjects. Can you defend the decision to hire that driver? Can you defend the decision to put that driver in a truck? You know, entrust them to operate based on your expectations. Can you validate reasonable care and due diligence was applied throughout the course of the tenure of employment of that driver? Because uh, we're talking civil, but we're also talking criminal. And we could be talking about charges against the company or even against the individual driver. I have had a couple of drivers sued for decisions made on the road. And I had one driver that was charged with criminal charges and eventually ended up taking a plea deal and going to jail for seven years, all because he wanted to watch a movie while driving. So he put his smartphone on the steering wheel and was watching a movie while while operating on a Friday afternoon at four o'clock during rush hour. Uh, so many times lives are changed in a split second. And those those decisions, uh, those those choices have consequences. And the reality is you may be called upon to defend. So when I go in to talk to my insurers, I, I really do look at reasonable care and due diligence applied throughout the course of the tenure of employment, but also, is it documented? Can you hand that to my defense team? Because if you can't hand it to the defense team, Cam, it never happened. It's not admissible. It's not evidentiary. And any vulnerabilities that are found through patterns, trends, uh, roadside inspections, whatever it is, are hooks that opposing counsel could latch onto and worry at until they portray you in a negative light. So what can you give that defense team to counter that and portray you in a positive light? So we talk about things like driver safety training. Now, you and I just met a few weeks ago, but I would imagine you do know or have someone within the family that's a white collar worker and has to get continuing education credits in order to maintain some sort of certification, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the professional truck driving is very similar to that. Are you demonstrating your expectations, your behavioral expectations through the use of driver safety training during orientation? What are you doing for continuing education throughout the year? Semi-annual, annual, quarterly. Uh, and most importantly, what are you doing remedial, post-incident? maybe even a post near miss. Are you giving that driver the tools to grow and learn from any mistakes or errors they've made? And can you prove it? Can you hand that to my defense team? And if you can't, it, it never happened. So driver safety training is paramount. Uh, a cell phone policy is, is very important. How are we dispatching? Are we talking to our drivers on the phone while they're operating? knew or should have known they were operating and failed to act, that's a form of negligence. Um, what about their personal cell phone? Do you have written expectations as far as what we can use the cell phone for? Uh, ideally, our defense teams would like to see us an annual cell phone pledge, a standalone cell phone pledge, reviewed and signed annually. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, here's Cam's cell phone pledge, 2020. 2021, 2022. Here's some driver safety training we did. Here's some counseling we did with Cam. We've done everything we could to ensure that Cam understands 
what our expectations, our behavioral expectations are. And then we could, we could certainly get into telematics and drive cams, uh, dash cams, video cam quarters of some kind, you know, because if a picture's worth a thousand words, then a video is worth a thousand pictures. Uh, I don't know, have you ever been in an automobile crash yourself, Kim? Yeah, I've been in a couple. Um, and yeah, it's uh, traumatic too, right? And you, you don't recall it's hard to get the steps of what do i do in a crash what do i need to do in a, you know what i mean yeah it's not it's not good especially if you get hurt when adrenaline's dumping into your system this goes offline yeah. your gross motor your fine motor skills go offline so they need that phone a friend so we, we you know we've always made sure we, we did that uh but but the reality is more often than not it's a he said she said situation whether it be you know somebody ran a red light and got t-boned suicide by truck, uh, an unsafe lane change, whatever it is. But for whatever reason, law enforcement doesn't trust us as truck drivers, as professionals, as much as they trust the motoring public. I can't tell you how many times I've used dash cam footage, vehicle video system footage, to exonerate my drivers from allegations and false claims. About 90% of the time, I've used those systems to exonerate my drivers. So to send a driver out in today's litigious environment without giving them tools to protect themselves, we're doing them an injustice. So we need to sit down and look at what we've got in place. How can we improve it? What can we do to protect our team, our drivers, you know, uh, our dispatchers, whatever it may be, when they're operating in safety-sensitive functions? It's, it comes right down to CYA in this world. And it's it really does too. And I think um, training and repetition of training to get people to understand what to do in the event of an incident, post incident, and preserving the facts and the scene and the data and, and all that kind of stuff and the first calls and the steps they need to take um, are huge. And I, um, I preach this as does everyone, obviously, from our side of the house. And then truck drivers or the owners need to hear this and understand if it is not documented, it did not happen. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, I, like I can't even state that enough because you, you know, you talk about it, it's like, oh yeah, well we've got, yeah, we do safety briefings every morning. Great. Yeah. Um, how do we know that though? How do you Prove know it. that? Do you have do you have minutes? Did did people sign off? Did people check in? Did people check yeah. out? What were the topics discussed? Um, the educational trainings, the ongoing training things, the same. Is there some sort of certificate, or do they get something for completing the trainings? which I think can go two ways too, because it's a way to recognize your drivers. It's a way to grow and improve your drivers. You know, even the old timers, right? They, they might need a reminder every now and then. They, they might need those uh, white lines to fall within on the Real road. Bumpers because uh, we make yeah, shortcuts. Sure bumpers. <laughs> yeah. shortcuts are the <laughs> fastest way to an accident. <laughs> <laughs> whatever, whatever we need to know about. And cell phones, you know, you talk about being connected with the family and you talk about, um, the progression, like you said, hey, we went from a red candle to a pager to a brick cell phone to, you know, no doubt video cell phones. Just the technology capabilities these days are amazing. It's a blessing and a curse, however, though, especially when you're driving with the distracted driving. You know, you mentioned you had to, uh, this, this litigation with somebody who was watching a movie driving down the road, yeah. right? 
I can't, you know, some people can't even listen to what's going on and then pay attention to the road, let alone trying to look down going 65, 70 miles an hour. You look down for 30 seconds and it's like, oh, I'm three football fields down the road by the time I pay attention again. You know, but folks just, I I don't know if they get comfortable, complacent. I don't know. I'm not really sure. But that uh, annual cell phone pledge, you know, what a great idea. Because I know most folks implement a policy. When you sign on, you sign a handbook, you know. Yeah, I I was just going to say, how many drivers read the handbook? Sure, they thumb through it as you're sitting there overwhelmed because it's brand new and it's this. Signed off on it. it, Sign it. Great. Done. Yeah. But the annual reinforcement of that stuff, man, is so key. So I love that. The safety training, the counseling, um, post-accident, you know, mitigation, root cause analysis. Like you got to sign all this stuff off. And what happened as a result? Was it preventable or unpreventable? If it was a preventable accident, there better be some trainings that go along with this, whether it was conditions, road con- construction, you know, who knows? I, there's so many accidents that you see and I see. But um Yeah, I think that's where folks get lost, you know, especially these, you know, eight to 10 to 15 truck companies is they're they're trying to grow. They have a dream. Their entrepreneurial spirit wants them to to help more lives and impact more folks. But they might not necessarily have that structure or that background to say, hey, I can put together a good program, training program, hire the right people to help me implement these trainings and stay on top of it and hold everybody accountable, including yourself. That's the hardest person to hold accountable, right? As yeah. any as any business owner, or, you know, whoever is taking this step to owning a business, but we have yeah, access to resources that we can share. It is, and if you've got a telematic system or a video event recorder system, a lot of times that back office also has resources. You're paying for it, but you're not utilizing it. So you can get some reasonably priced resources or even free resources. There are also plenty of companies online that will give you great assistance for for a premium price, but something is better than nothing, even if they're interim stopgap measures. But yeah, uh, any remedial measures that you've taken go a long way. Well, and I'm guessing, I mean, this is my opinion, uh, it's not hard to get above FMCSA's um, baseline for best practice, right? (laughs) It's really not. Like you can be better than most with just a little bit of effort. Right. (laughs) And that goes a long way in court. It really does. That's what like these folks think of um, insurance, you know, as a commodity now, right? Hey, I have to have it. I'm required to have it. Um, You know, Geico says I can save money and all that, whatever. It doesn't really matter. But the fact of the reality is in a truck, you will have an incident one out of every three years might not be your fault might be your fault as as Roger just alluded to though the public thinks it's your fault even though you're the professional with the CDL and you're the one that knows the road how to drive better than any four-wheeler that you're going to encounter it's still your fault you know you're the rolling ATM in the eyes of a lot of these venues unfortunately and it's the world we live in it's what we're fighting it's what ata is fighting it's what a lot of people that are lobbying for the trucking industry have to deal with every single day um but it starts with yourself too right you've got to make yourself defendable you have to help yourself yeah and that's sometimes hard to communicate because we we want to believe the best in people but the reality is when we deal with the motoring public and I know this is going to come as a shock to you, Cam, but people lie. Weird. People are honest. No. I know. No. Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so 
So we have to be able to, as we talked about before, defend ourselves, our decisions, and our our drivers. Uh, so we don't want to do them a disservice. Uh, but the, the reality is, with the technology you were mentioning, we also need to be managing and monitoring our drivers' behaviors as well. Mm-hmm. So that means either the telematic systems, actively engaging with those, or even the vehicle video systems, and then using those as remedial measures to help improve our driver behaviors to meet our written and documented expectations. And if we're not doing that, if we're not measuring, we're not monitoring, then we're not controlling. Yeah. And now you're just a passenger. Key yeah. performance indicators, right? You can't track what you don't measure. I, um, I'm a huge advocate of that. You know what's cool though is, and I've got some companies that do a couple things that they're, I don't want to say unique, but like I, I feel like it's behavior based bonus mm-hmm. programs, if you will. If you have a camera and yep. you're managing incidents or um, you know the hard breaks or things that come up, and a driver does something positive in that moment, and they show like a high level of experience and expertise on how to avoid whatever could have potentially happened, they get a bonus for that. But what's super cool about it is the driver then gets that opportunity to tell about it and share it with the rest of the team because the good drivers want the rest of the team to be good drivers. If a company is you had mentioned early on safer FMCSA, the safety scores, CSA, all this stuff that come into play. If you have a company that starts performing poorly in safety, out of service, vehicle maintenance, driver, fitness, all that kind of stuff, what happens? The company then gets pulled into the scales frequently. Right. What does that do? Well, puts you out of service more frequently. You have to deal with DOT more frequently. You don't get to get on your way more frequently. Like it does snowball and cascading effect that right. all the drivers, the whole company starts to feel now. So your good drivers can get frustrated with that. It's like, why? I haven't been in out of service. I do my pre-trips. I do everything I can. I'm, you know, I'm a good driver. I pay attention. I do all my trainings. I take this seriously. I'm a professional. And then you get a couple bad drivers that say they're doing good. But in reality, it's starting to cascade and cause cause an effect of (laughs) negative outcomes. And it's like, well, shoot, now I'm getting pulled on the scale every single time. You know, how sweet is that? Right. And so they want to help. They want to share. They want to. They want yeah. to do all that stuff. What's um, because you're obviously with your experience, the background, and then you're in a lot of organizations. What's one area that stands out to you that could use attention, kind of across the board or in most companies? Like maybe an area that they just overlook, oversee, maybe neglect, or think that they're doing it correct, but in reality, it's like it's not a super solid system. Hmm. Well, that varies so much because, to be honest with you, uh, part of my work is travelers, and those are the bigger fleets. And then a lot of my work is Northland, which is the smaller 10, 20. Uh, so so break, let's break it up to your large and then small. Small first. Let's start there. Okay. With the small ones, it tends to be informal. A lot of things are done with a handshake or just a, a private discussion with Billy Joe Bob, you know, uh, rather than actually documenting. So the uh, – the smaller companies, the the owner is, uh, or even the manager, is on site six days a week, and they're engaged with all the processes, but the failure to document. It's informal and, and poorly documented. The bigger companies tend to have more formal processes, far more uh, consistent with their documentation, 
but they treat drivers as if they're numbers rather than actual people. So you, you've got that um, disparity bet- between the two different types, which, which can be very challenging. So you have to keep an open mind when you go in. You have to look to see what the business class is. Um, what are we transporting? Is it private? Is it for hire, flatbed, uh, reefer, whatever it may be, tankers, whatever it may be. And then um, assess it based on those different differing criteria, different different structures. More often than not, with the Northland, it's the, it's the sole operator, and they're they're engaged with everything from the dispatching to the HR to the driver counseling, and they're so busy. They're so busy. They it's are. such a stressful in, environment. Just making those deliveries. The operational focus tends to be the priority, and then things, as far as documentation, fall to the wayside. And and that's the Achilles heel of, of the typical Northland customer is that informality and that, that poor documentation, as opposed to the larger companies that have a full-time safety manager or full-time HR department and can do that formal structuring. And uh, the disparity is, is sometimes very difficult for people to handle. No, I think that's good. And I think it's good to shed light on that um, for folks listening, because it's a chance for them to reflect and really kind of, you know, look internally and say, hey, are we doing a good job on this? Uh, Recording might be as simple as everyone has a cell phone. You record the meeting and then you put it in a file, you know, or transcribe it. There's services that transcribe conversation. People had something, yeah. Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff with the AI and the technology coming out. Um, I mean, your possibilities are endless. <laughs> it really is. It can be overwhelming, though. And I know a lot of folks, you know, going back to the cameras, don't want Big Brother watching. Drivers are against cameras, especially when you get driver facing cameras and that kind of stuff, because, you know, they, they don't want to be that vulnerable. And a lot of owners don't probably want to know the truth of what's happening in their rig. Sometimes <laughs> they they want to think it's all good. They want to think everyone's paying attention and not putting their foot up on the dash or watching a video or whatever the case is. Um, But I think that the 360 view cameras, the driver facing cameras, and you keep in mind, they're only active during operational times. Anyway, they're shut down when you're on on break or your mandatories, but um, they can really help exonerate you and they can help make you defendable. Also, on the flip side, if you're liable and your duty is to make somebody whole again or pay for the damages that you caused, you're, you're kind of owed to have to do that anyway. You know, I, I mean, people worry about that, but the, the reality is, is like you said, in today's uh, litigious society, you've got to protect yourself. And that's probably the easiest thing to do for that. Um, so I think that that's amazing. Uh, I think that's a huge service too. I do want to highlight, I, I, I really do want to highlight what Travelers and Northland is doing and offering as a service, as a courtesy, as a partner to those. And I, and I work closely with Travelers. I work closely with Northland. Yeah. I think this is a great service. I, I really do. So if you want, Roger, spend a minute, uh, you know, you can even reflect on that from your from your perspective, because you have a background in trucking and transportation. I'm sure when you started, it's like, oh, gosh, insurance, here we come. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, OK, we got to deal with the suit. OK, we're going to tell him what he wants to hear. He'll go on his way <laughs> like yeah. we're out, you know. But what's like reflect on that for a sec, like 
because I know that you're passionate, obviously, and I've talked to you. I know that you're passionate and uh, your 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 missions to help the insureds and the trucking industry as a whole. So, yeah. Well, a lot of times I go in and I go in, obviously, and I don't want to be too my own horn, but from a knowledgeable base with a, with a unique perspective. But it's also independent observation. Sometimes you're you're so involved in the day to day that you're in the forest, so you can't see the trees. If you know yep. what I'm saying, yep. and I'm probably mixing my metaphors. Don't nah, tell I me. love it. But the point being that sometimes you're too close to something, and when somebody looks at it from the outside and goes, "Hmm, yeah, that might be a challenge for my defense team to defend that decision," you know. So sometimes it's just simple things that fix this. I mean. We all do MVR checks, right? Most of us will do criminal background checks because we don't want anyone with impulse control or anger management issues operating our equipment. Uh, many of us run the PSP. I'm sure you understand what a PSP is. So you get a list of convictions with the MVR. You get a list of allegations with the PSP and walk the applicant out to their car. Just, just take a look at their car because the condition of their car is what your truck's going to look like in six weeks. And if it's full of trash and it's dirty and it's disgusting and it's filthy, you go into a scale house with a truck like that, what's going to happen? That DOT officer knows that that particular the character of that driver indicates there's going to be some gaps. Pull it around back. Let's take a real close look at this one, shall we, fellas? So I start basically with the human being. The human error accounts for 94% of all crashes. So Start with the character of the person you're willing to entrust your good name and your equipment with. Trucks aren't cheap anymore. Dude, have no. you seen the price no. of trucks? Oh, yeah. 200K, 220K. A used one you can get for 75, 80K. It's, it's amazing. Incredible. And, and then yeah. you throw a trailer and then you throw product. And, and you, they're running down the, the road with $350,000, $500,000 worth of goods. And you just don't want to entrust that to anybody. But on the other hand, Cam, you know, getting a good driver is so hard because most of them, and not to be ageist, but a lot of them are boomers, you know, because that's what we've been doing our life. And that bubble is going to burst. We need to get, as you mentioned, the younger people, uh, women in trucks, veterans in trucks, minorities in trucks. We need to get a greater group of people operating these equipments, pieces of equipment, so that when the the baby, uh, the the boomer bubble bursts, we've got those people to, to fill that in. The, the reality is this is an ongoing ongoing thing that has to be done, but we need to put people of character into these trucks, this, this whole process of getting good drivers. Uh, I remember a time when I had to hire 30 drivers in 30 days, and it took me two years to purge the bad drivers I hired in those 30 days. You know, I had to fill a contract, 30 drivers in 30 days, I did it. But it took two years to purge. So, yeah, and I, I think that that's important to recognize because, um, you know, with the folks going out of business, business, the freight capacity, those that did a good job securing relationships and lanes and future opportunities now have to come to the table and fulfill those agreements, right? And yeah. a lot of them aren't set up to be freight forwarders or brokers. In fact, they don't a lot of them don't need that headache because I don't think they understand it correctly. You can't just <laughs> subhaul freight and <laughs> do some stuff. But anyways, and, and I'm getting that now, you know, I get these companies and it's like, 
we have to hire 20 drivers by the end of the year. Well, yep. now you're going to start looking at, okay, we've cool. got our handbook in place. We've got minimum standards. We've got all these things in place, but you're going to test that now because of the driver pool. What's available? Who can I hire? Who do my drivers know, but they might not quite have the experience potentially, or they might have something that is just outside of guidelines, but maybe coming off, right? So when you start making exceptions on things, That's guess so what you bad. have to do? You have to document that exception or it, it's black and white. I mean, you hired this person outside of guidelines. So that can be a problem. Um, you know, I don't, I, I think it can be overcome. I think with a good proper write-up and explanation and reasoning and probationary period and training and, oh, and here's management and oversight. Here's what we're going to do to ensure maybe team drive for a bit on a, on an easier lane. And this is what we're going to do to educate, strengthen, get them up to speed, get them to where we see fit. Great. That's all documented. We, you can work with that. I feel like in court, but if you just hire them, put them in a truck, off you go with the 500 K that you mentioned, it's not going to bode very well for you when something happens. It's really not. And they just don't have the experience. It's not even against people that want to get in the industry or just got a CDL or anything like that. Let's be real. I mean, I was, you said, have I been in a crash? Yes, I was still crashing my car in, you know, late teenage years, you know, and I, sure, I had experience. I drove for a couple of years, like, you know, why can't I drive, you know, <laughs> but it's reality. Yeah. You just don't have your butt in the seat for enough time and you don't have that experience and that ingrained instinctual things that are going to need to be done when something comes up. Anyone can hold a steering wheel in a straight line or a relatively easy lane when nothing happens. That's good not, weather. Yeah. And that's not the issue. It's when something happens Suddenly, when someone makes an irrational decision, when someone tries to brake check, when construction hits, weather hits, ice conditions, I mean, all these things start to come into play that that driver might not even realize like, oh, I've got 80,000 pounds behind me. How long does yeah. it take me to stop in good conditions, let alone bad conditions? Yeah. Yeah. So there's so many things to consider on that when people start thinking about I got to fill this order. I got to hire 30 drivers, as you said, in 30 days. What does that look like? Well, for Roger, that ate the next two years of his life yeah. trying to purge and repent on his bad decisions. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like. Well, and there's there's instinct because people tend to drive them like they're cars, but they're not cars. Let's take wildlife, for example. You know, you drove. We yeah. don't swerve for wildlife. And it, it breaks your heart if you make contact with, you know, with Bambi or, or whatever the case may be. But the reality is if you swerve, you probably won't recover from that. No. So you have to overcome those instincts to swerve because of a dog or, you know, what have you. And it, it is so hard. And then, like you said, weather, winter. Winter driving with a truck is completely different than winter driving with a sedan. Night and day, completely different. The articulation yep. just adds to that mess. And it's just, there's such a learning curve. And you're not going to get it by going to college. And you're not going to get it by going to truck driving school. You know what? Yep. I, I taught truck. You know what truck driving school gets you? How to pass the state test to get a CDL. <laughs> yep. That's what they teach you. Yep. We used to teach it. This crack, you turn the wheel this way. When you get to this crack in the pavement, you turn the wheel this way. Hey, the guy can do an alley dock. Yeah, in my yard, but not blindside alley dock, you know, in, in Bumchuck. No, it, it's a completely different beast. So, yeah. 
you know, hydroplaning. Hydroplaning is a problem for trucks as compared to sedans. Yep. Especially when you're empty. You know yep. the drill. You don't. Yep. You had flatbed. Weren't you flatbed? No, I don't have any experience on that. You know. Oh, okay. Just from, so my family did. I mean, just just oh, from being okay. with them. But yep. Okay. Yeah. Well, when you're empty, the, the trailer tires have no traction. Yep. You know, and when you're empty, even the drives don't have the weight over them, so you've got a lot less traction. You know, uh, it's a completely different beast. So we we've got companies. We do a lot of dairy farms. You know, uh, dairy haulers that go from farm to farm. They start out empty. And they go to a farm and they pick up 1,200 gallons, 800 gallons, 1,500 gallons. The yep. weight changes. And because this is food tanker, it's smooth bore, right? Stainless because yep. there's no baffles in these. Um, so now you got that slosh factor of 800 yep. gallons or, or what have you. And then you go on to the next farm and you've got rural off-road and you're changing. The handling characteristics change all throughout the day. And then you take it to the processing plant, you offload it, and now you're coming back empty again. Yep. And the funny thing about cows, they need to be milked every single day, Christmas day, snow days, your birthday. You still got to milk the cow, so we still <laughs> got to go pick up that milk. So it's those kinds of things that people take for granted when they go to the grocery store and get a gallon of milk. But the reality is somebody puts their life on the line every day to bring that milk to you. They do every day. Your food, your Christmas presents, your Starbucks. I mean, I don't know. Whatever you deal with every single day. Sloshing's a, a unique and interesting phenomenon for like you get a rear end incident and not only do you get one, you get one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> you know, I mean, next thing you know, you can hit someone like five, six times on the same incident. It's like, you know, because the tank. I mean, but that's yeah. the stuff, you know, and I, I think you get self-preservation involved too in a young driver. So if you have to make a hard decision, you glaze your brakes or something coming down a pass or who knows what could happen, you know, what's your course of action? You got options to take the ramps. Maybe there are no ramps. Okay. What's my next decision? Or there's a line of cars at the bottom, right? And unfortunately we see this in the news and you hear about the tragic incidents that happen. But yeah. a lot of times that driver, I mean, I, you can say the right or wrong decision. I would probably say the wrong decision chooses to hit the line of cars, not take themselves out of somewhere else. Um, and, and that's a hard decision to make, especially as a young person too, right? And it's not even maybe a fair decision, but it's the line of work that you're getting into. Those are things that you have to consider and think about, um, you know, that a, that a trucker that, like you said, is willing to take pledges for cell phones and do all this and like commit to the profession as noble and it's noble what that responsibility looks like. You're putting your life on the line. And during COVID, I think it did an okay job on shedding some, you know, praise to the truckers. Sure. But they need that, not just during a catastrophic event or something like COVID when people need toilet paper. I mean, you know, it's yeah. just like, oh, geez. But what people fail to understand is the medicine, you know, for diabetes medicine and heart and all these things that go along with doctors and operations, they all come on a truck and they have to show up. Every single day, every single month, every single week, every single year. Otherwise, people won't make it. I mean, it's the reality. So, no, I love that. And that's why we started this podcast was hopefully to raise awareness, be a resource, provide education, give back to the trucking community in any way we can. And that might be someone listening to this might just say, you know what? A cell phone pledge is a great idea. That's a great idea. I'm going to start doing that. And hopefully they do. Documentation, huge idea. 
You know, yeah. there's a balance too. When you get big enough, they're not just numbers, right? You got to do some leadership training to get people to understand how to connect with their team and make sure you understand they're real people too. And you got to check in because what happens outside of that truck also influences how they act in the truck. I think people forget that every now and then, right? Like yeah. someone might have a lot of stress at home. Who knows what's going on? You know, you don't know what battles people are fighting on a daily basis, but just a little check-in might go a very long way. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. You, you and I could talk for hours. I mean, we we've got issues obviously. with parking right. spaces. We've got issues with shippers oh, and receivers, geez. delaying drivers. You know, we've got, like, as you said, law enforcement that, that hates us, the motoring public. We could go on and on for hours and hours, bro. But, but yeah, I do what I can to give back to the industry that's been so good to me as you and your team are doing. We try to be good partners. Uh, there are times when we have to actually, like you said, call, call it as we see it blunt. But I owe this industry so much. And, and I try to give back every time I meet with a customer just to educate because, you know, I've, I've led a blessed life and, and, and I want to make sure that other drivers out there have that same opportunity and it is getting so hard for them right now, Ken. It's, it's just incredible. Like you said, you mentioned diesel prices, rising costs, brakes, you know, brake jobs are expensive. Tires, tires are ridiculously Oh man, petroleum based. Uh, finding good mechanics, finding a good technician, finding that parking spot. And for those that are running their own rigs, you know, after you're done driving, you don't just to get walk home because now you got to do the documentation, the IFTAs, and they, uh, oi. Well, and how many of them, you know, wrench on their own rigs, their equipment, do their own yeah. service and all that kind of stuff, man. You're right. Um, I think it was, it was a great conversation. I know there was a ton of stuff in there folks can really resonate with and take from this. And I know you're busy, Roger. I really do appreciate you spending time Very coming on with us, sharing your background, the experience, some of those stories. Very neat. Um, thank you. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. It was my pleasure, Kim. Yeah. And truckers, stay safe. We appreciate you as always. And uh, keep on keeping on, man. All right. 